Philip Kane, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is the Dollar Bin Podcast, your favorite comic book review show where we review bad trade paperbacks and find out, are they really bad? Are they just born that way, drawn that way, and some other cliche that has to do with comics and being bad? I'm your host, Dees Casillas. Thanks for hanging out, guys. And in addition to trade paperbacks, we also pick out a comic book that I found in the dollar bin at my local comic book store while I'm on my travels. Then we see if that truly is a dollar bin comic or a hidden gem. And before we get into our review for the week, exciting news, we have a new sponsor for the show, Blue Spot Comics. They're an online comic book shop on Instagram. You can find them at Blue Spot Comics on Instagram. They have a wide variety of comics, variants, vintage Star Wars toys, vintage video games and accessories, and more. So check them out, guys. They've got a great selection and great deals, and they ship directly to you as long as you live in this country. They don't do international. Because the goddamn patriots support the troops. And I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. Anyway, today we're reviewing the trade paperback Young Blood Focus Tested by Image Comics. This book was released in 2008 and collects the first four issues of this iteration of Young Blood. It was written by Joe Casey. Fanboy moment. He's my favorite. And art by Derek Donovan. Now, I would tell you what volume of Young Blood this is, but it's very difficult to say, uh, given that this series has started and stopped so many times. But one thing is for sure, and that's that this book ran for a total of nine issues, which may actually make Joe Casey the longest contributing writer of Young Blood, and he may have the most issues under his belt written for this series, especially in continuous order. I'd say maybe Eric Stevenson, but I don't think he actually ever wrote a script. Rob, just draw stuff. I'll put words in. Yes, I'll make sure blood is in the book at least 72 times. Yes, and wolf, but spelled with two L's and an F in a weird place for no reason. For those who aren't aware, Young Blood was the first image series launched in 1993 and started the comic book boom and eventual bubble burst a few years later. Uh, it was kind of a downfall that really spiraled the comic book industry into demise for a long time, uh, brewing up trouble for all independent creators who uh, all launched a series during the 90s, and even Marvel Comics who even went bankrupt during the 90s as a result of the dropout of the market. But at the time, the first Young Blood book was hotter than a pouty Ana de Armas. But now, you can find it flooding the dollar bins. And that's why we're talking about it here. Because this book, very interesting. Original Young Blood, definitely dollar bin material. I don't even think we need to go over that. But we will be going over Brigade Number 1 soon, uh, which was kind of the sister book of Young Blood, which may or may not be a dollar bin comic. We'll see. The craziest thing about the Young Blood series, despite the extreme lack of, oh crap, do the thing. Did we do it? Good. The lack of any cohesive story, the art by Rob Liefeld where everyone's face looks like a butthole that's trying to hold back seven-day-old Thai food that's been outside. No one has feet, hands are weird, pouches are the new black, and shoulder pads are preposterous. But above all that, the original Youngblood series hadn't even hit like three issues deep before they started launching spinoffs. And the original Youngblood book wasn't even on time. It was coming out months late. 
So instead of doing the actual second or third issue of Young Blood, they just launched a new book. Hey, because number one sell. That doesn't destroy a whole industry. Young Blood Strike File. Team Young Blood. The aforementioned Brigade, which sadly doesn't have the word blood in the title. I assume somewhere there's a pitch for that book and it was called Bloodgate. They were spinning off books of books that hadn't even been released yet. It was like some inception of spinoffs. They just couldn't get enough number ones. But I kind of get it. The industry was clamoring for these hot number ones. They were selling millions of copies. The format had kind of been stamped by Marvel with Jim Lee's X-Men number one and Rob Liefeld's X-Force with all the multiple covers, reprints, and things like that. That just completely destroyed the industry, and Image took that and made a whole company out of it to begin with. Fun fact, the second volume of Young Blood, which ran from issues number one through 14, uh, they actually left Image Comics after number 10 for Rob's first of many attempts at his own company called Maximum Press. Why he didn't go with Extreme? I don't know. He's like, Extreme's played out. Maximum. <laughs> Those are the same words, Rob. Okay, I need a word that means totally a lot and has an X in it. But it's wild because Maximum Press only released issue number 14 of Young Blood. Issues number 11 through 13 were never even printed. Not by Image, not by Maximum Press. They just don't exist. Why Rob felt to go to jump from 10 to 14, I don't know. There's so many weird twists and turns with Young Blood as a series over the last 30 years. And it's crazy to think that the book has been around for nearly 30 years. But the longest running series of any Young Blood book is actually Team Young Blood. It ran for 22 issues. Uh, it's all very confusing because it jumps around from publishers, it skips issues, things weave in and out. There's long gaps of no publishing. So trying to figure out what's Young Blood continuity and when it happened is a nightmare. One of the most chaotic stories about Young Blood is that in the early 90s, when Young Blood was still. Kind of hot, but starting to flounder. Uh, Kurt Busiak was actually tapped, and he wrote a synopsis and was supposed to take over the series, which actually probably would have catapulted Youngblood into a whole nother echelon. If you would have had Kurt Busiak in the mid-90s writing these characters, who knows where this book would be right now. Rob Liefeld would be so rich, he wouldn't even have to be drawing comics anymore. So fuck you, Kurt Busiak, for not doing that book and cursing us with more Rob Liefeld. That story gets a little deeper because in the truth 2000s, Rob actually used that synopsis and gave it to Mark Millar in around 2003 uh, to write a whole new book called Young Blood Genesis. The original series that Kurt wrote, Rob took full credit for writing and he asked fans not to support the book. Uh, I don't think it mattered. This book can't tend to last more than a couple issues anyway, no matter what iteration it's in. So that was canceled. Cancel is generous. They just stopped doing it. It's like my parents and why they haven't gotten a divorce. Getting a divorce takes effort. So does canceling a book. They just kind of stop participating and let it figure itself out. But Mark Millar's Young Blood in 2003, Young Blood Genesis, again, lasted just a single issue. Uh, then a young Robert Kirkman wrote one issue of Young Blood when Young Blood was with Arcade Comics. Again, it has bounced around with publishers for a long time. Uh, that was in 2004, and it was called Imperial. Again, only a single issue ever hit the stands. They really love number ones. 
Even bigger than all that, though, is the never-mentioned 1997 Alan Moore and Steve Scrochi series. Now, it only ran for two issues, but Alan Moore kind of had control of the Youngblood Extreme universe. When Rob Liefeld made a pretty crazy turn, stopped being extreme, he stopped being maximum, and he decided to be awesome. There was an event called Judgment Day, which I remember being pretty good. It was kind of a new status quo for his universe and what would move forward in the extreme universe. Honestly, I'd like to track it down and read it again because I remember it being pretty good. Hard to not imagine Alan Moore being able to write anything good, especially when they're characters that don't have a long swath of history. And these characters who'd only been around for five years at that time had been in some comics but hadn't really done a lot. It's just guys with guns and knives fighting a bunch and sweating and having clinched faces. So that was the real disappointing thing, is that book really could have been something that went anywhere. Alan Moore did write a lot of issues of Supreme, which were very good. Alan Moore has such a grasp on that type of character with a huge power set. There's been more iterations of Young Blood, though, than there has been of Law and Order. Joe Casey. For everyone who hasn't read Joe Casey, I need you to stop whatever you're doing, finish this podcast, hit subscribe, send me some money on my Venmo, and then go read anything by Joe Casey. This guy is quietly one of the best comic book writers in the industry. I have been a fan of him since I first started reading his material in Cable from Marvel Comics in the late 90s. He had a short run on The Incredible Hulk, which was pretty good. Uh, a great run on Uncanny X-Men, which is very underrated. He was writing Uncanny X-Men alongside Grant Morrison, who was writing X-Men, which became New X-Men, the black leather phase. So I feel like he got very overshadowed for what he was doing in that book, especially up against the X-Men, being that that was setting the status quo for the series. So he was having to play second fiddle and really doing some interesting things that were very different from anything happening in X-Men. I've said it before, but his run on Wildcats is arguably one of the best runs in comic book history as far as I'm concerned. He also wrote Butcher Baker, Righteous Maker, which is an amazing series, Godland, and a bunch of other stuff that's just really, really great. But Joe Casey has a way of subverting the genre um, better than almost anyone else out there. And he does it without being as over-the-top as Millar, who's very gore and graphic and in-your-face, bloody, swear words. And I get it. There's, there's a weight to that. There's great times for that. I do love a lot of Mark Millar's stuff. But it gets a little gratuitous. Uh, and he's not as heavy-handed as Morrison, where he's trying to shove some moral down your throat. And he doesn't hate superheroes like Grant Morrison does. He's got a real love for the genre and a real good grasp of it. He is quietly one of the greatest comic book writers of all time. And I don't think he gets enough love, guys. Go out and read some Joe Casey. In fact, you can hear a great interview I did with Joe Casey on my other podcast, The Social Hour. New episodes every Tuesday and Thursday on DeeceComedy.com. It was episode 362, so you can search him or just go to episode 362 and take a listen. We did about a two-hour interview, and we talk about all sorts of stuff. So go check that out.
But really, the good news in a book like Young Blood is even for characters who've been around for 30 years, like I said, is you can do whatever you want with them because no one really cares about these characters. Maybe Rob Liefeld. There's no consistent characterization, so you can't do something with these characters and say that's not in their personality traits. No one wrote them with a personality. Rob didn't give them a bio about what they're into, what they like in a dating profile like it's Christian Mingle. They've got guns. They shoot shit. What more do you want? They had very little of a backstory at all, and it was super malleable if it was. None of it was concrete. And not only if it was concrete, no one remembers it. They've bounced around so much and in so many titles that no one really knows what is real in the extreme universe. Also, I think the Judgment Day series by Alan Moore may have rebooted it a la Crisis on Infinite Earth. So, again... You can do whatever you want. These guys are a clean slate, which really is so great because they're established characters. The title has some cachet. The characters do have a following, but nobody knows why, really. There's not a lot to them. You can say, oh, I like this about that character. Like, sure, you could say, I like Shaft because he has a bow and arrow. Beyond that, tell me something you like about him. Something that's been consistent about the guy in his 30-year history in comics. Nobody knows. Does he like Yahtzee? Is he into underwater basket weaving? But that opportunity is writing gold for Joe Casey, and I see why he jumped on it, because you can take these characters who are essentially caricatures of themselves at this point. Really, Image Comics became self-aware at a certain point of the early series. We talked about in the very first episode of the Dollar Bin podcast when we reviewed Bloodstrike and what they did with that character later on. Uh, They were able to kind of see their missteps and see the trope they're going with and play off of those and play them up and make them into a plot point in a character piece instead of just keep making them some silly caricature of the early 90s blood extreme stuff. I mean, let's be real. Young blood characters are just hollow tropes and weird versions of the X-Men and Teen Titan characters that didn't get green lit. So Rob put them in his own book. But here we finally get something different. Shaft is begrudgingly dragged back into the whole thing. He wants to be a lone wolf federal agent. He's kind of doing his thing. We open the story with seeing him not wanting to rejoin a team, thinking the whole thing doesn't work as many times as they've tried it. They kind of poke fun at the idea of how many times it's failed. And of course, there's still some evil lurking behind this particular version too, which that kind of unfolds in that four issues and the next volume also. We get some old characters like Bad Rock, who's quietly falling apart due to his powers, which is kind of a plot point. Uh, Die Hard, who has a little bit different look and is now more of just an android, has no personality. So basically the same as before. You have some great humor. Joe Casey really knows how to inject humor into his books. He knows how to make characters interesting. There's a weird cosmic element to this book, which is different than anything that ever happened in Youngblood before, too. Some otherworldly aliens coming down, uh, which, again, plays out in the second volume. But if we're just talking about these first four issues, it's a very, very tight, well-done first four issues. Easily introduces you into the book. You don't have to know anything about Youngblood to get into this book or understand what's going on. Some cursory knowledge can help you, but it's not required at all. Also, Derek Donovan's art on this, I think, is spectacular. Now, I have to say, this isn't really my flavor of artist. I get the skill. I get the appeal for certain books. 
He's very well done. But I like grittier, weirder. I, you know, I love Chris Bacalo, as we've talked about before. Things like that. More stylized and a little less bubbly, cartoony, which I see of with Derek Donovan. Again, this kind of reminds me of the art style they went with in the Bloodstrike series with Francesco Gaston. They crank up the colors, they crank up the saturation, they make it a little more, uh, I, I keep saying cartoony, but I don't know how else to say it. It's smoother, it's softer, it's very crisp. And I think those were intentional by smart editors because it takes away that usual feel of these titles of Young Blood, Bloodstrike, how you have Rob Liefeld or Marit Michaels art Everything's very big, bold. Everything's a splash page. You have none of these small, intricate panels. The panel-to-panel -panel sequential art kind of goes away in favor of just big, bold explosions. So they slow it down. They pace it. They want to make these more real readable books about real characters. So take away that gritty art, that 90s style. And really, they're pushing the same book just through the new generation and style of producing comics. And man, I tell you what, it worked for Bloodstrike, and it worked for Young Blood. Guys, this is a fantastic read. And I'm not saying that just because I love Joe Casey, uh, but I really think everyone should read this book. It does have a few lulls. And like I said, if you're not really a young blood nerd, there's a few things you may get a little lost on, but overall you can access this book pretty easily. They do a great job of playing up the idea that these guys are also celebrities. You know, they have to go on the Tonight Show. Uh, there's actually PR guys who are staging fights against the bad guys to make sure that they're getting publication. They're on Newsweek. They're do, do walking red carpet. So they really take the ideas of the original Young Blood and being this government team that has to be celebrities and cranking it up to the nth degree. And only Joe Casey, I think, could subvert that genre and really, really push the limits of that and show you how ugly and funny it can be. So with all that in mind, guys, I'm giving this book an $8 rating. And now for our dollar bin pick of the week, we've got 1998's Slingers Number 1, otherwise known as Thank God It's Not More Clones, more of Spider-Man's lackeys. This book was written by Joe Harris with art by Criss Cross. Criss Cross went on to great fame. No, not that one. No, not that one. We did these jokes last week, guys. But he actually went on to have a fantastic run with Peter David on a Captain Marvel series that ran for a long time in the 90s also. Highly suggest it. Great book. Peter David, underrated writer. So this book is based around four characters who get costumes that Peter Parker, Spider-Man threw away because, you know, Spider-Man costume changes are like the cicadas. They come around every seven years and they don't stay very long and everyone hates them. This time around, though, Peter Parker decided to use four different costumes at once to really throw people off the mark and make it wildly confusing to know which name to use and what costume and where he is. And I think he was doing drugs during this time. But after he's done with these costumes, four kids pick him up and individually use the monikers of Ricochet, Dusk, Prodigy, and Hornet. Now these were kind of interesting designs and I actually wonder if the Slingers concept as a series was figured out before they decided they were going to put Peter Parker in these costumes. Was that a catalyst to jump to this book or was this book a result of these four costumes? Because the designs and power sets were actually kind of interesting. 
And it was interesting how they lined him up with the characters of the people behind the masks in the Slinger series. They're four kids. They're like young Peter Parkers, except they're all a little different, but they all seem to encapsulate one personality trait of Peter Parker. There's Ricochet, who's kind of the free will and carefree version of Spider-Man. There's Hornet, who's the injured, neglected, nerd version of Spider-Man. There's Prodigy, who's the responsible one. You know that whole power and responsibility Spider-Man thing. Okay, okay, we get it. Your uncle died. Ugh, get over it. It's been 50 years. And then the side that wants to be a woman. Come on, we all have it. <laughs> That's why she's in a black burqa. She's repressed. So if you got an interesting concept, great costumes. Uh, Prodigy really somehow looks like more Captain America than Captain America. Like, if I looked at those two guys and was like, who do you want to lead your country? Maybe like, not the dude with the flag wrapped around his butthole. Give me the gold guy. He looks like an Adonis. Despite the obligatory black leather jacket, Ricochet does have kind of a cool costume and a cool look as well as an interesting power set. Hornet gets the short end of the stick by looking like a bootleg Mega Man villain. <laughs> And Dusk, well, she's just wearing a hefty trash bag. She must be cutting weight for wrestling season. Now, I remember this book at the time. I didn't read a ton besides X-Men at this time in Marvel Comics. But I read this book, and I recall liking it quite a bit. I stuck with it. I read the whole series, actually. Going back and reading issue number one, I was torn. Crisscross's pencils are amazing. He's a fantastic artist. I do enjoy his art quite a bit. He's a guy who I didn't like at first, but really grew on me. I think my art style changed or what I preferred because I also used to not like Chris Bocciolo and now he's my favorite comic book artist ever. I'd be interested in reading more issues of this book because the first issue is a little slow and a little bloated. It's a double-sized issue and there is a lot of exposition. It's like a Hemingway novel, except I don't get to kill myself at the end. They set up a pretty interesting concept that Dusk is dead. We don't know why or how she died. Uh, there was some explanation in the Slinger Zero, which predated Slinger's number one, obviously, on how she died. But the mystery of how she comes back is kind of something that they go through in the next 12 issues of the series, I remember. Um, so overall, this book was actually pretty good. Again, it was a little bloated. It had some 90s feel, but uh, solid writing. Joe Harris does a great job of really encapsulating each particular character and making them different. And I don't know if it was intentional to make each character a version of Peter Parker's personality, but if so, it was very smart. That seems to shine through in what happens here. Sadly, Slinger's only made it 12 issues, which is about on par for anything that came out around that time. As we talked about a couple episodes ago, uh, 1998, Marvel was in deep into bankruptcy talks and really had a gambit, no pun intended, by tapping Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti to do Marvel Knights, and they kind of put all their money into that. And then, of course, the X-Men was still a thing at the time, too. Everything else really kind of got sidelined. We haven't seen much of these characters since the end of this series. Hornet was killed by Wolverine during a time that Wolverine was being brainwashed by Hydra. Prodigy was seen during the Civil War, teaming up with Captain America begrudgingly. Dusk and Ricochet did team up also to help 
save a resurrected Hornet who is now evil uh, with the Scarlet Spider in the Scarlet Spider series by uh, Christopher Yost from around 2010. Maybe these guys will make a comeback. Uh, I think they're interesting characters and they do have a lot of history. Joe Harris also is another guy who was a really great writer and just kind of never got his due. I think he'd still be working consistently. Now, overall, this book has its flaws, but I'm going to say this is not a dollar bin comic. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, this ain't a $5 comic, but it's a decent first issue. It's a little bloated. It's a little oversized. They were trying to squeeze in four characters that nobody knew anything about into a book and get you moving on where the story is going. That takes a lot to do, uh, especially when you know that you're not going to get a lot of time. If you're not selling hot real quick, off you go. We'll trade you out faster than Scott Summers trades out telepathic sexual partners. All right, guys. Well, that's it for the Dollar Bin Podcast this week. Again, go to Blue Spot Comics on Instagram. That's at Blue Spot Comics. Uh, check out all their inventory. They have a large selection of uh, rare variants, back issues, all kinds of stuff, vintage Star Wars toys, gaming equipment, and more. So check them out. Buy some stuff. They ship to you. As for me, go to DeeseComedy.com. Check out everything going on. Follow the Dollar Bin Podcast on Facebook. New episodes every single Friday. And if you want me to review something specific, message me. Hit me up on Deese.Comedy on Instagram. Let me know what I can uh, talk about. I'm, I've got a whole bunch of stuff, but I'm down to talk about something specific. If you want, hit me up. Let me know. Smash that subscribe button on YouTube. If you're listening to just the audio version, you can go watch on our Facebook page or YouTube and get some special bonus features. Plus, you can see my pretty face. All right, guys, for the Dollar Bin Podcast, I've been Deese. Peace. Uh -huh.